This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena no mai kiti korero e ranga etereo irarangi ona tangata o Manawatu. It is the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio at half past eight on your Thursday morning, and that can only mean one thing. We turn our attention to Manawatu District Council, and we have, as usual, Mayor he- uh, Helen Warboys on the phone. Atamarie Helen. Uh, Morena, and uh, great to talk to you again. Indeed. Um, Wellington anniversary weekend. Everyone was looking forward to a a, a nice uh, break, time to recharge the batteries, perhaps. Alas, no. Uh, It became pretty clear uh, that a move to the red traffic light was inevitable, and here we are. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we knew it was coming. It was just a matter of when. And I I I think a few people were surprised, though, because... There's, there's not a, um, there is a growing number of Omicron cases, but not in huge numbers. So I think a few people were surprised that the government decided to do this so soon. But um, on the other hand, you know, it's, it's also to make us, could you get a bit complacent with your mask wearing and your scanning, etc. So it's, it's a really good reminder that uh, while it's pretty much life as normal without the events, etc., we just do have to take extra care. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I guess let's start at the local level with events because anything that was planned on being held in the summer is either being reimagined or, uh, to be honest, I think a lot of people are just throwing their hands up in the air and going, well, there you go. We thought 2022 was going to be better. No, it's not. So let's see what 2023 will bring us. Yeah, look, look, as a past event organiser, my heart goes out to all of those people organising big events like the New Zealand Rural Games, you know, what's going to happen to CD Field Days. The New Zealand Dairy event is on at Mansfield at the moment. That has gone ahead, but on a much smaller scale. We didn't have the official welcome this week that we, was planned. So, and it's really tough. You know, I was due to go down south in a couple of weeks uh, supporting Shaz Dag, our local athletes doing the coast-to-coast. She was doing it solo this year as the first uh, disabled woman to do that. And uh, so, you know, and they've all worked really hard and practised, etc. So it is, it's devastating. But not only that, it's, uh, you need to think about the economic benefit that these events have on our small communities, or even our big communities, all communities, right down to the, you know, the hotels, to the uh, buying your coffee to you know absolutely everything petrol everything it has an impact right across the community so um, yeah it's 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 tough and it's going to be tough for a, for a while yet and if you know if you listen to the experts they say it's going to get worse so um, you know my message to everyone is is really look you need to take care of yourself um, and but just be kind to everybody and. Support your local businesses. You know, still go and grab your your coffee and your muffin and etc. Because those businesses are hurting and um, it's not looking too good for them either. 
We were talking to Matthew Dallas from the Manawatu Standard yesterday and he was talking about the story Sinead Gill wrote uh, about the cafe, I think Cafe 116 in Palmy, that was a location of interest and the sort of stigma that comes with being a location of interest regardless of, you know, what what you actually did. All that happened was someone with COVID came in uh, and then left again and, and you get this stigma attached and we need to work hard to dissuade that, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Look, I, I understand there's a fear out there, but look, you know, life has to go on and it is what it is and you just need to take all the precautions you can and, you know, the experts are saying it is going to go through our community and it'll be what it's going to be. So, uh, yeah, I do. I, I absolutely feel for that cafe and, you know, we had similar in Fielding with the Rose Bowl being a location of interest as well. So, um yeah, it is. It's really tough across the board, but it's our vulnerable and our older people that will have that anxiety, you know, about, you know, I can't go out because, you know, I might catch a, catch this bug. But And for those people, then there's the wellness, the well-being, you know, being lonely and not having anyone to talk to. So there's a whole lot of issues there, and we're really well aware of that and trying to, trying to stay linked to all of our welfare agencies to make sure that we still connect. We might be able to do it in person, particularly some of the council aspects of what we do, but we're still here on the end of the phone and by email. Uh, looking at some of the council activities and some of the council facilities as well, what is uh, life on the red traffic light going to mean for, for for people in the community that want to take advantage of the likes of the Makino, uh, the, the library, uh, all, all the, the, the community facilities that you have? Uh, well, the policy stays as we put in place a few weeks back uh, or before Christmas. Um, so both the both library and the pool, you need uh, your vaccination pass to access those services. However, for the library, there, you can get all of those services online. Uh, so, so you can use that opportunity. Um, but at the pool, it's really tough. You know, I know there are children who can't go to swimming lessons because their family's not vaccinated, you know, and there are some consequences um, of not being vaccinated, but we have to do um, what the authorities are telling us to do to try and keep people safe. You can't swim with a mask, you can't keep the distancing. It's just impossible to keep that, keep those rules around COVID. So we have to do what we, what we need to do to keep both the staff and the public safe. I don't know if you can talk to this or not, but I mean, my, my, my I've said this repeatedly on the catch up. My main concern is is for our, our health service providers, our doctors, our nurses, our GPs as well, who are going to be inundated uh, as well, as far as the predictions tell us, they're going to be inundated over the coming weeks. Uh, it strikes me that um, people traveling from Fielding to Palmy in that instance to, to, to further clog up the hospital might not be a thing. Is, is there something planned in fielding for to, to help people and, and to get testing, etc. We're still working through that. Oh, but as far as um, you know, the testing, you know, if you're a, a patient at the fielding health um, centre, then it's just a matter of giving them a call. But you know, I want to give a shout out to the vaccination centres. I turned up last week for my booster at the civic centre, and um, the Ewe Kofoda health um, providers were there doing their fantastic service. Um, they were bright and friendly and chirpy and made everyone feel really good. And um, so everybody is trying to do their bit. But look, you know, th- those health workers, 
they're already stretched, and if if it turns out to be as bad as they say it is, and you've only got to look at Australia, then um, yeah, my heart goes out to them because they've all got families and children, etc., as well, and themselves to look after at, at the same time trying to provide a service. So, you know, and I hear people getting impatient, and particularly in supermarket queues, and I think we just need to, you know, just um, just settle down and. You know, we can't change what's going to happen. So um, it's a matter of just being being polite, being friendly, being caring, looking out for each other. And just the thank you goes a long way. Mm. Um, I remember back in 2020, the, the OG coronavirus, uh, no one really had a, a plan for it. Uh, some people, some councils did have pandemic plans, but I think across the board they were woefully inadequate. And no one really blamed anyone for that. But learnings were made and the, the Delta variant, uh, everyone seemed to cope quite well with the lockdowns there. Yes, the tail was a bit longer, but it, we felt kind of in control. This new Omicron uh, variant combined with this new territory of the traffic light system as opposed to the alert levels and lockdown, uh, this looks quite different to what we experienced last year and the year before. Is, is MDC in a good place to, to deal with this shifted landscape? Um, yes, we believe we are. We've, had, we've been working with all of our staff and elected members. Right before Christmas, we had a draft policy in place. We asked for feedback. Um, it's, that's been considered. There's been some tweaks made, and um, and our, we've split our teams. We've split all our departments up into teams, and the same with elected members. We're, we've divided into two teams, so that there was always, if someone in a team gets sick and likely to infect others, um, the other team uh, side of it can step up. And it's the same in the departments. They're telling us that to expect around 30% of our staff could go down with this, and. Of course, it's you know it could be thirty percent all in one department, or and you know it might be the um, the recreational services guys who pick up the rubbish and that kind of stuff. So we have got those plans in place, and we're already enacting them. Uh, we're, I'm having week about in the office, so my team only goes into the office every second week. Uh, we're tying that in with our council meetings. Half our council team will be on Zoom for meetings, council meetings. All of our other meetings uh, will proceed, but they will all be on Zoom. So, so yes, we've put some plans in place, and um, people are just getting used to those at the moment. But we've had staff working from home right well before Christmas, and so it's becoming the new normal. I, I guess, I mean, is there still a, a plan in place in case of a lockdown? I mean, I know the government are quite keen on, on not locking down the entire country, but uh, regional ones are not out with the realms of possibility, are there? Uh, well, the, the government's saying they're not going to go there, but who knows, you know, it, you look at what's happened in Australia. We just have to be agile enough that whatever comes our way, um, we are prepared. And yes, we would go back into our um, lockdown plans that we had previously with with all those people that can work from home doing so. Uh, so, you know, we've also, we've also made allowances for those who uh, do not wish to be vaccinated or can't be vaccinated um, so that they can work from home. And if they need to come to the office, um, councillors organising antigen testing so that they would have to do those on a daily basis before coming in to the office and be able to show that um, 
to their managers to show that they um, are negative. So, you know, we're trying to take as many precautions as possible. But the key thing to this is communication. And it's the same out in the community. People just just want uh, facts and information. And unfortunately, there's so much misinformation and rumours going around. And, uh, you know, some days you just think, because it's not even worth listening to the news. It's just constantly negative and um, and it is what it is so we just have to deal with it. I, I draw a reference to you saying there that uh, you are using those rapid antigen tests for staff members uh, who can't uh, or won't uh, get vaccinated. Are, are you comfortable with that as a process? Because we're, we're hearing a lot about how those tests are, are, are not the most accurate. Well, you know, we have to. We just have to work with what uh, we're being given, what the government's advice is and Ministry of Health advice is, and that's what they're telling us to do. And, um, you know, hope that I know they're working on more accurate testing, but that's what we have at the moment. And, you know, the down, the the downside of that is if if you say, well, you can't you can't come to work, or um, for some of our activities that council does, that just doesn't work because like our building inspectors and, you know, dog control and some of those people that need to be out in the community and face-to-face with people. So we, we just, we're working with the information that we're being given. We are here with Mayor Helen Warboys on The Catch-Up on Manawatu People's Radio. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of The Catch-Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, Turning to happier news, Helen, uh, the crusade for a fielding bus service has proved uh, successful uh, and we saw in the news, uh, well, we saw you on the news, uh, taking a ride on the bus. How did it go? Oh, look, it, it was great. Unfortunately, because of uh, traffic light reds, we weren't able to open it up to the public. But we had a really um, small but really nice um, ceremony. Kofota uh, blessed the, the, the bus service uh, to start the morning off and the, uh, there was representatives from council uh, the Syncos community group that participated this and the regional council. And uh, we all hopped on the bus and uh, did a route. And it, w- it was great learning for our friends at the regional council. For some of them, driving around fielding was quite an eye-opener. And, um, yeah, I, the feedback we're getting from the community is really good. The fact we pushed to extend the route, so we go up into the new where the new uh, residential zone is, past the Woodlands uh, Villas and Rest Home and, and a couple more schools so that, you know, with the commuter service from Palmy plus the fielding bus, I think uh, fielding will be well served now and we just encourage people to use that service. Uh, it's free for two weeks and uh, so, you know, uh, what I'm saying to people is give it a go. Um, you know, use it to go to work uh, or to go into town or to an appointment or go to the library or whatever you need to do. Um, just think, you know, how about I give this a go and um, we'd love to get some feedback. What I'm also really keen to do is, you know, the bus turned up and I went, oh, it just looks like the Palmy bus because uh, it does use a bus, you know, one of their new buses. Um, so I'd love to get that bus painted so it is very clearly identified as the fielding bus service. So working on that and, uh, yeah, I'll be talking to some local businesses to see how we might be able to do that. It'd be, I, I, it's... 
I would have thought that the, the, the user bus have a fleet of vehicles and you'll get one per day, but it won't always be the same one. Have you, are, are, have you heard that it will be the same bus every day? Um, well, there will exactly right. There will be times when the bus needs to be for maintenance and uh, warrants and those kind of things uh, for checking up at it. But that's what we're talking to um, user bus about. Um, they've done it in other communities. In fact, the the user bus girls that were driving the bus yesterday showed me a bus that uh, they uh, new service in Wellington in one of the suburbs, and uh, it went from just a traditional boring looking bus to bright pink and black with lots of um, motors and murals on it. And I'm thinking, that's what we need. It, it needs to be identified that this is Fielding's bus service. Well, Joe McManaman's been putting a few murals around Fielding. Perhaps he could be called upon to uh, pick up a rattle can on the bus. Um, we'll have to uh, wait and see how you progress with that one. The route itself is, I heard it's half an hour. That seems quite comprehensive for Fielding. Uh, yeah, 32 minutes all, all up on the route, and yes, it does. It covers it covers the main the main areas of fielding. So, um, and I know you know I've already seen on Facebook there's people saying, oh, well, it doesn't come out this way or that way. Look, we're never going to be able to um, fit it, fit everybody, and otherwise we'd be back to a really long route, as you say. So, you know, half an hour for for a complete route. That's better than the 55 kilometres that people previously had to do to take the Palmy bus that came to Fielding if they wanted to get back home. And it is an orbital route, so it's only going in one direction. That's correct. Yeah. Yes, it is. And, and the frequency, I mean, is it, is it constant? So will people be able to get a bus every half hour? Uh, uh, you need to have a look at the timetable, which is on the website. Um, but there's uh, eight or ten services a day during the week. And then uh, I think it's six in the, on Saturdays. So, you know, it's a lot more frequent um, and if you take that combined with the Palmy service that we've, we've previously had still operating, that will give a lot of op- opportunities and flexibility for people. So, And you'll have seen the new bus stops. They've gone up around the community. And uh, so there's a bit of excitement around the place about it. And so I just encourage people to get out there and, and, have, and give it a go. I know it's not an ideal time when we're in COVID and red, et cetera, but we're going to sit down in, in about six months with Horizons and just review that, that whole service, the route, etc. And uh, so we'll be looking forward to feedback. And it, uh, just uh, finally, it does tie in with the Palmy service, so people will be able to get the orbital from somewhere in Fielding to a place where they can get the Palmy bus? Absolutely, yes. That was that was the key to it. It's taken um, you know a bit of, bit of work. Uh, to actually tie those all together. And the good thing is that it, it's been a community Manawatu District Council and Horizons Regional Council project, and we've had representatives from all three sitting on a committee, and, you know, we've sat there, and, and, and the great thing is the Regional Council have looked to our local community to say, you know your community best. Um, are these the, is this the right route? Are these the right times? And so we've been able to put up, you know, well, did you think about this or that? And that's been considered. So, you know, I think the whole process has been fantastic and a great way um, for us to look at how we might do other projects together. 
Very good. There we go. Uh, Mayor Helen Warboy is talking about the uh, launch of the Fielding Bus Service. We've also been talking, obviously, about pandemic uh, here on the Catch Up. Uh, time to talk about uh, a, well, a serialised conversation. It seems we've been having over the past few months, uh, Helen, and that is Three Waters. Uh, you have <laughs> personally taken the fight to Nanaya Mahuta, um, and uh, yeah, an update on that because last time I think. You had taken, you'd gone down to Wellington and presented the information, and and we were sort of in a holding pattern again. Uh, yeah, what we did in uh, twenty four councils, where our representatives went to Wellington in December. We spoke to each of the political parties, X Green and the National, uh, and the Minister, and we explained who we were. So it was our official launch of Communities for Local Democracy, uh, and uh, and. We, what we said is, this is who we are, this is what we're about, um, and we want to be constructive, we want to help, um, and we want to get the right alternative models out there for our community. And we asked for the opportunity to come back to the parties and to the ministerial working party that the minister set up and to present um, the absolute details of why we think the government's model's flawed and, more importantly, some alternatives. So uh, that that was accepted, and then we heard just before Christmas that we're to present uh, on the 28th of January, so that's uh, tomorrow. And uh, so we've been working hard over the break uh, with Castalia and some of the um, experts around pulling that information together. And uh, so we've got a pretty smart presentation now that we had hoped to be in person in front of that ministerial working party, but with the traffic light red, we're, we're now on a Zoom meeting with them. Um, so we've got an hour with them to, to put our case and then we've also asked to go back in February and present the same presentation to those political parties. And I, you know, I think as time's gone on and people are talking, I think some common sense is starting to prevail and people are, you know, really thinking about, well, in theory that sounds okay, but how's that going to work on the ground? And, of course, the other part of this is the legal action that three councils have taken, supported by the other councils, around the uh, determination of property rights. And so that's into its next phase. Uh, We've now sought a date for a hearing in the High Court. And uh, ultimately what we're looking for is a determination on what do property rights mean because the government is continually saying that they are not taking those assets off the communities who own them. And we would argue that if you uh, put them into an entity that we have little say or voice or control over, then you are taking the assets off off our communities. So, you know, watch the space. Uh, Once we've done our presentation, we've got um, several other steps in our campaign. We will be coming out publicly to the community and saying, come on, jump on board with us. Uh, we really need to take a strong voice to government to get to get this sorted and, and make some sensible changes because we all agree the status quo is, you know, we can't keep going the way we've been going with no regulations, no standards, and no backstop enforcement. Um, so we're, we're putting all of that on the table and going, yep, we're ready to step up, um, but this is how we believe you can do it and achieve the outcomes that we all want. It must be a pretty pricey endeavour to uh, put all this information together, get all the advice and the experts, and then travel down there and present and, and do that numerous times. Is the ratepayer footing the bill for this? 
Um, no, well, a lot of the a lot of the work had already been done. The Productivity Commission had uh, the government commissioned a report from them, and last year, and that uh, report basically backs up everything that we are saying. And the interesting thing was that when the government got this report that they commissioned, they ignored it. And uh, so and so we've gone back to that and said, well, hang on, let's delve a bit deeper. And, and we're saying, well, what they said made absolute sense. And some of the work that our water experts uh, from the technical side, Castalia, they had also done a lot of work for local government selling beforehand. So it's really just um, going into a lot more detail. Each part of council that's joined Communities for Local Democracy, yes, there's been a fee depending on the size of your council. Um, so it was anything from ten to twenty thousand dollars per council, and uh, so you know it's it's a pretty modest budget for what we're trying to achieve. And if you think the government, you know, what if they put aside seven hundred and sixty-two million or something, um, and the amount of money that they've spent so far, you know, if we'd all just sat down round the table as they promised we would do and consult with our communities at the start, we could have saved the taxpayers and the ratepayers a whole heap of money. Um, they are, of course, the same person. So it, it, it's, it's yeah, exactly. I, I, and I guess that that's one of the arguments that the government is making around this ownership model. It, whilst the council may have footed the bill, the, the community owns the entity or owns the assets that manage our water. Um, and whether that's from taxes or rates, I, I kind of see where the government's coming from in that the ownership doesn't change. It's the governance and administration of it that does. Well, it's about, you know, how can you own something and then not have it on your balance sheets? Um, it, it doesn't add up because currently the community who have invested in all of those assets, the pipes and infrastructure that's required for those, are now being expected to hand that over to an entity, um, you know, four entities across across the New Zealand um, who have their own boards, own governance structure and own processes uh, with very little accountability back to the community. So that's not what the definition of ownership is. But is, is, that, is that any different, though, Helen? Because as a ratepayer, uh, we entrust Manawatu District Council to manage these assets. The only thing that's going to be changing, from my understanding, is that as a taxpayer, I'll be entrusting the government to, to manage the assets. Uh, well, no, that, it's not intended that the government, the taxpayers... The government has no intention of putting um, taxpayer money into this. It has to be a self-funding model in that the, um, the, the rate payer is still going to pay. The people with the water connections and services are still going to pay, but instead of paying it to the council. The difference is it's one step removed from local democracy. Count, local councils are elected and voted for by the community to serve their community. And so when we make any changes or, um, you know, set our budgets, etc., we go out and consult with the local community. So they have a say in where their money goes to. But under their proposed model, um, that wouldn't happen. But it's much more than that. You know, they talk about scale and scope. That's where they're going to get the, the savings. But if you actually evaluate what's being proposed under a, a proper full evaluation process, it doesn't stack up under a whole lot of um, other other areas. And uh, so we've been through those in detail. And uh, after we present to the government, uh, to the Ministerial Working Group, 
our intention will be to release those details out to the community so we can have a really good discussion about it. Marvellous. Uh, we are out of time. Mayor Helen Warboys, thank you very much for joining us on the catch-up this morning. No doubt in a fortnight's time there'll be more to talk about, uh, including uh, we'll hear how that presentation went. Uh, that's happening tomorrow for the Ministerial Working Party. Uh, so good luck with that. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, and it'll, it'll be great to update everyone and get get the community more involved. Marvellous. There we go. Mayor Helen Warboys on the catch-up this morning. Uh, remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, just head to the website mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We'll be back tomorrow at half past eight with MP for Palmerston North, Tangi Utikeri. And of course, on Monday, we will continue with uh, an interview with Wendy Carr from Fielding and District Promotions. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.